everyone. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Sense Hour Podcast. It's Shane alongside Derek. As always, we're glad to be back. And as always, sponsored by DraftKings, your number one stop for your daily fantasy needs. Beautiful, great amount of chances, super easy. Six players all under the salary cap, collect points, win, lots of money in prizes. It, crazy how well you can do in, daily, in the daily fantasy pool. I know with COVID, it makes things a little bit difficult. But if you're a fantasy guy, you want to win some money, definitely head over there. Head on over to THPN for uh, extra bonus on your first deposit. And yeah, enjoy the daily fantasy football or daily fantasy hockey. They also have basketball. You can do MMA and other, um, a lot of other sports. But man, last night's game, man. I don't even know what where to begin on yesterday's game. It was 5-1. People were ragging on Hogberg. They were ragging on DJ Smith. They were ragging on everybody. That late goal by Paul in the second, what, what happened in that third period? I can't even put into words what happened in that third period because I don't even believe them. I still don't believe what happened. That is... Well, it's a histor- it's history for the Sens. They've never came back from a four-goal deficit the way they did against the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think it was nine seconds left in the second period, and the score was 5-1 Toronto. I mean, against the Leafs, too? Come on. I mean, that's a storybook ending for the Ottawa Senators in that game. I don't care what the rest of the season looked like before this. That game alone made everything worth it. It was just so much fun to watch. Um, what a blast I had watching that game. I screamed at the top of my lungs when Dadnov scored the OT winner. Um, yeah, what a crazy game. Yeah, and I, I saw the Paul goal, and I'm like, okay, we got one late in the second period. It's nice to get a shorthanded goal. You know, it's 5-2. I don't really know what to expect in the third period. And then Zub out of the penalty box, breakaway. Can you get any better of a first career NHL goal? Breakaway. Beautiful move on by uh, by Zub on Anderson. I think it was uh, Drake Batherson uh, after the game was like, yeah, he uh, when we were in Edmonton, we had a shootout competition. He won the shootout competition with that exact same move. <laughs> I we've both been high on Zub. How happy were you for the kid when he like seeing that goal, seeing the the, the hat, like the excitement on his face. Just completely elated. I mean, and super surprised at the same time. I mean, pulling that move out of his hat on a breakaway. How many breakaways did Artem Zub expect to get in the NHL? Probably none. He comes out of the penalty box with a clear-cut breakaway, and he throws a Crosby leg kick, head fake, then he goes backhand, forehand, tucks it around the pad of Anderson. I was like, who the hell is this guy? Where did this guy come from? That was unbelievable. Yeah, it's fantastic. Drake Batherson finally gets a goal. And I'm a huge Drake Batherson fan. I know you are too. He's played really well, hasn't got the chances. That was a beautiful backhand goal that went by Anderson there. Are we going to see Batherson break out now? He gets one off his back. Is he going to pull a Dadanov? off? He's had, yeah. he's had like five goals in his last five games. It's yeah, crazy. absolutely. De- no, he is. Batherson was so due. I mean... If you look at his PDO or, or basically the amount of shots that he had versus the ones that actually went in, it was so low. So basically it was suggesting that he was the most due player aside from Brady Kachuk, who has the most shots in the NHL. And a lot of that's because he just jams the puck into people's pads every single game, every single shift. But Drake Batherson was right there with him. If you looked at the underlying stats, the analytics, you know, whatever you want to refer to them as, Drake Batherson was so due for that goal. And it was great to see. And it was Stutzla that fed him that beautiful pass right before it. And it's two players that really needed to have strong games um, along with Josh, Josh Norris. And all three of them did. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that we're, we're so focused on the third period. And for everyone joining us right now, thank you all for joining us. If you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter. If you already haven't, but you know, Josh Norris had a great game. He got elevated to the first line shortly. I believe it was in the first period where we started seeing him back with Kachuk and Brown on that first line unit. He had a great game. I don't think he, he didn't end up on the score sheet, but he definitely had a great game. Stutzla again got the, the beautiful pass to Batherson. He got on the score sheet. Batherson with the goal. 
these were games that you want these players to to jump in and have success in against teams like Toronto, and we saw that exactly. Oh, absolutely. And Norris did get one secondary assist, so he was on the score sheet once, which moved him into nine points tied for the rookie scoring lead in the NHL, which is, you know, something that's kind of surprising as well, because if you look at Josh Norris recently, he really hasn't been producing. But it just goes to show that, you know, there isn't really a runaway leader in terms of the Calder Trophy um, race this year. So it's up for grabs. I mean, players like Stutzla and Norris are very much in that conversation and they probably will be uh, throughout the season. Yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, Norris, we'll talk about the, the upcoming two games against Toronto a little bit later, but he's back in that number one center role beside Kachuk and Connor Brown in practice, expected it to go on Wednesday. But, you know, going back to that uh, Monday night game, Dadunov with two goals. He had the tying goal. He had the breakaway winner uh, in overtime. But can we also start with the fact that Riley shot the puck, I think in two, I think it was uh, Logan Brown, or not Logan Brown, uh, Paul. I don't know. Why can't I Nick, Nick Paul? Paul. There we go. Yep. Totally blank <laughs> on his One of those guys. Name. Yeah. But he missed on like he missed Matthews. Like Riley just straight out ignored an open net for Matthews, one timer in overtime, shot it into Paul's pants <laughs> that led it, I believe it was Paul, into a goal by I don't know. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't think it went in for the like at first I thought he missed the net completely. Yeah, just just an unbelievable sequence again, like the whole game, you're expecting the bad, right? Like you're sitting there watching this stuff. Even it, it's 5-2, uh, you know, Nick Paul scores that uh, shorthanded goal. Uh, Austin Watson shoots. It's an easy save for Anderson, but he leaves, uh, he lays an egg, leaves a rebound right there. Nick Paul scores with nine seconds left in the second period. We're going into the third period, 5-2, trailing the Leafs by three goals. They go into the period on a power play and they have the most lethal power play in the NHL. You're going into that third period, you know, trailing by three goals. This game is over at this point. We're just kind of watching the game for whatever, you know, the same way we've been watching almost every game this season, watching it for the young kids, the development, and and just to see maybe something special at the end of the game. But you're going to lose this game. You know, we had we had already decided at 5-1 and 5-2, we're going to lose this game. Even when it was 5-3 and Zub comes out of the penalty box and scores that gold, gorgeous goal that we just talked about. Even at 5-3, in the back of my mind, I'm like, that was cool. At least we got something out of this game to see. That was nice to see. And, you know, it's it's a feel-good thing. At least they came back a little bit. And then it's 5-4. You know, you start getting serious. You're like, oh, my goodness. They can't actually come back here, can they? You know, 5-4, you get that. Another goal, gorgeous goal. And we've been saying this all show. But every goal scored last night was so pretty. Probably none prettier than that Connor Brown goal. But here's the thing, though, is that, like, we've been hyping up, you know, the, the Bathurst and goal and whatnot. That pass from Colin, that entire series, that pass from Colin White to just a little shovel pass over to Connor Brown was probably the most simplest clean play mm. we have seen in the last couple of games. And it was the least prettiest of goals out of any of the six that we scored. Yeah, that, I, I don't know. I love that. I love that play. The spin pass from Shabbat. He hits Colin White and then the give and go with Colin White and Connor Brown. And and as you said, like Colin White had everyone fooled. Everyone thinks his head's down. He's going to shoot the puck when he gets it. If he does that, Anderson probably squares up and makes an easy save. But no, he kicks it over just a two foot pass back to Connor Brown, who had an open net. And all he had to do was hit the net. I mean, that's that's what you want to give Connor Brown, who really struggles to shoot the puck and really struggles to score. All he had to do was hit the open net, and he did that. Yeah, and I think at five four, I was like, okay, we can do this. Like, there's we have they controlled that third period for the most part, mm-hmm. and then the dining off goal that tied it up. I know everyone's hating on Step on for for good reason. He's not overly great. But when we need him to win a draw, he has won the draws. Like, he won the draw that led to the game-tying goal. So, he's a fourth-line guy right now. And uh, someone mentioned it, I can't remember who, on uh, on Twitter. He uh, he reminded him of the Zenon Kanapka signing (laughs) in, like, 2011-12, 
where he didn't play a lot. When he did play, it was kind of ugly. But he had one of the best face-off percentages in the league behind, like, Bergeron Taves. He was almost hitting at 60%. Stepan's winning key face-offs. Let's make one thing clear. He's not a good face-off guy traditionally. Like, he's a below 50% guy. Even this season, he's below 50%. But at least, you know, you can count on him to win the big draw. And, And like you said, yeah. Credit where it's due. We've been hating on Stepan all season. I've probably been, you know, leading that train maybe a little bit too much. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. You could, you could agree with that. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you could count on him. At least you can count on him to win a key faceoff. And if that gets him traded, then great. <laughs> I mean, hey, I've been a little bit more defensive of Stepan because I like what he can actually bring. But man, I, like this win, you know, I think people forget, you know, we have four to the six possible points against the Leafs this year. You know, we have nine games against them, and we've already won two. Most people thought we were going to get swept by the Leafs this year. We're going to lose all nine to the Leafs. It would be no issue. You know, we've beat Winnipeg. We've we've beat Montreal. We've beat Toronto. We've barely beaten – like, we've barely lost to, to Edmonton. This group has to feel very, very confident about itself that they are better than their record shows. And if they can play – a full 60 minutes, they can win games if they don't get down on themselves. Is this the type of win, Shane, that could carry momentum forward? Like, is this the win that you look at that you're going to look back and say, this is the moment that the Ottawa Senators turned the corner on what was otherwise an absolutely abysmal season? Or is this just a small little highlight in an abysmal season? I think it depends on how they play on Wednesday. You know, if they can come out and play, you know, with confidence, with that, you know, we can beat these guys mentality, even if they lose, like realistically, even if they lose, as long as they play a good game, they, this can be a turning point. They've won two in a row. Uh, They feel like they, hell, they could have beat, they could be on a winning streak right now. They don't feel like their record shows how good they really are. So, hey, you can get a a two back-to-back wins against Toronto. You have a three-game winning streak. You build some confidence. Goaltendings are goaltenders feel confident. Defense feels confident. Forwards feel confident. Anything can happen in the NHL. I think if they can use this game as a stepping stone, they have games against Montreal, Calgary outside of this week. There is nothing stopping this team from moving up the standings by the end of February. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they could use this game as a stepping stone, as you said, as a turning point in the season because games like that they just don't happen this was a historical comeback victory by the senators and it happens to be against their rivals in the toronto maple leafs we're feeling pretty damn good about ourselves as sense fans uh you know on tuesday morning i see everyone super active on twitter again uh leafs fans shutting up for the first time in a long time it's a pretty damn good feeling um probably the best part of this season so far for me has been Mark Mathot's um, activity on Twitter. Mark Mathot is officially part of the Sens army. Like, he is super active on Twitter, and that is wicked. Yeah, I mean, definitely want... We need to get Mathot on the show. Uh, so we're gonna we're just going to try making that work, because I would love to have him on the show, talk about this, the Crosby slash and whatnot. But yeah, it's great <laughs> seeing him active in Sens Twitter. It's great to see him active in the community and engaging with fans consistently uh, when it comes to the team. And he's not being negative, but he's also not being positive. He is very kind of across the board. Like, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to, I'm not going to overreact to a loss. I'm not going to overreact to a win. I'm just going to enjoy the, the hockey. And that's what he's done. And it's refreshing to see. Yeah. it, It feels like he's genuinely one of us. Like, you know, Mark Mathot on Twitter doesn't seem like Mark Mathot, the hockey player. He just seems like another Sens fan, you know, chirping about a bad decision here or, you know, uh, you know, uh, talking highly of Artem Zub, who he's been talking highly of. And then, you know, seeing Zub come through with that beautiful goal. I mean, that is super cool to see. Too bad Zub didn't decide to wear number three. That would have been funny if Zub wore three instead of two. Maybe he'll change his number to honor his 
unknown hero because he probably has no idea that Mark Mathot's talking about him. He really doesn't speak English, but um, <laughs> that would be great. I, I feel like he would. I could see him change. I'm honestly, I was very surprised that he didn't switch to to 55. I when when they announced that he'd be wearing two, I was very surprised. I thought he was gonna go like with Sergei 55. Gonchar. Yeah, I thought he would. <laughs> You see it a lot with, you know, Russians coming over. They kind of, if they have a favorite player going up and whatnot, they might wear that number. Maybe and his favorite player was Jared Cowan. <laughs> I feel like there's been better players that have worn two. I don't know. He was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> see, here's the thing. My thing with Cowan is that he ha- he was he was treated the same as CeCe, with, but with the injuries, right? Like, I think if Cowan stayed healthy, he didn't have that hip problem, and he was – Treated better because Cowan was part of that cool, like that group of prospects that never really developed properly. CC Lazar, Zabanajad's lumped in there, Pumple Prince. Like, there's a good like six or seven guys that weren't treated greatly by the organization in terms of development wise, and I kind of feel bad for Cowan. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> hey, I mean he's made his money, but like. I don't know. I feel like it's the same thing with CC. Is like if CC was put in a better sit because he's had a good he's had a good season in Pittsburgh numbers wise. And if you yeah. actually watch him, he's had a pretty good season in Pittsburgh because they've actually put him in like a proper role and have kept him in that role in all in Pittsburgh. I, I've said this multiple times. You go to you watch any of his games in Ottawa. You watch any five, 10, 15 game stretches of him in Ottawa. He is not in the same role two games in a row. And as a player, you're never going to develop like that. But anyway, but that's besides the point of what we're talking yeah. about. It's just Zub and Riley, though, have been our best defensive pairing. And yes, Riley had that bad turnover that yeah. led to the Thornton goal. But if that's his only issue, where he makes one bad turnover here and there every couple of games, it happens. It's it, Shabbat's done it. You know, Doughty, Carl, they've all done it. It happens in hockey. You make one mistake. My issue was the consistent, ter- like the consistent odd man rushes oh. that Ottawa was giving Toronto in the first two periods, and it led to to uh, I think the third goal was it like a three on one, and Branson didn't take the 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 coming down guys. Stutzel had the guy up top. It, it yeah. reminded me of watching Belleville. Oh, we can't we can't pretend that the first two periods didn't happen, even though we want to. But they were absolutely as ugly as it gets for for Ottawa. So yeah, the Leafs dominated most of this game, but they still lost, and that's what makes it a lot of fun. But yeah, we, I mean, we'll probably be reminded tomorrow night that the Leafs are a really good team because um, that was a little bit embarrassing for them. I would say, um, you know. Probably right up there with the David Aries um, Zamboni driver loss. You know, you can't lose a 5-1 game to the last place team in the entire league. I mean, a team that won two games all season. There's You just can't do that. And they did that. So, I mean, that's super embarrassing for them. They're going to come out, you know, lit up with, with tons of fire. Ottawa is definitely going to have to uh, get some puck luck if they want any chance to win tomorrow night. I don't think they need puck luck. I think I just think they need to continue to play the way they did in the third. You know, defensive break like their penalty kill was pretty good. Yes, they were two one for two, but overall like that against Toronto, that's not bad. Going fifty percent against Toronto, not the end of the world. But honestly, like the defensive breakdowns that led, you know, the Anisimov kind of half ass defensive attempt on that two on one on that back check, you take that out. You take out the horrible defensive call by Good Branson not taking the wide guy, uh, and then you take away Mike, Mike Riley's turnover. Those are three direct goals. Toronto did not play that good of a game overall. It was a lot like game one where they kind of had the puck around. They were just able to capitalize on their chances. If Ottawa can limit those defensive like gaffes, there is no reason why Ottawa can't go out there and hand it to Toronto again on Wednesday and Thursday. But limiting those defensive gaffes, as you call them, is, you know, it probably requires different players because we're talking about some of the same players making these mistakes. 
Uh, you know, Artem Anisimov is, at, at this point, if we're being honest, he's not an NHL player. Only no. on the Ottawa Senators right now. You know, uh, you know, good Branson. I love the guy, but he is a borderline, borderline, borderline NHL player. <laughs> the thing with good Branson is that there's times where you look at him and you're like, cool, this guy can actually be a solid guy, like a solid bottom pairing yeah. guy. And then there's things like he does the other night where he, he takes the wrong guy and you're like, you've been in the league how long? And you, this is a basic defense. You have three guys back. Hogberg's playing the shot. You take the furthest guy to take away the pass. Like it's things like that where you look at and you're like, what are you doing? But it's things that can be fixed. Hopefully, you know, it's things that, you know, you can not necessarily work on, but you can work on the recovery. Turnovers are going to happen any game, right? It's not some magical thing that everyone just gets away from. Turnovers will happen. It's just a matter of how you handle those turnovers is how we need to deal with it. I think that's why you see teams like Ottawa divert to simplification of the game, right? Like they, if Ottawa truly wants to be a winning team and they want a chance to win every game, they probably have to play a very simple, very boring, um, I hate to say it, but like a Guy Boucher trap style 1-3-1 game. And, and they're probably going to, if they win the game, it'll probably be 2-1. to one. You know, like the game they won against Winnipeg. How many odd man rushes did they surrender to the Jets? Not very many. It was a very basic, very simple construct game. Um, and if they play that style consistently, they probably have a way better chance to win, but it's a lot less fun. And if we're being honest, they're probably still not going to win 50% or, you know, whatever you need to win to get in the playoffs. So, you know, this season, I would much rather watch that 6-5, you know, excitement fireworks show than watch a 2-1 snore fest that they probably lose anyway. Yeah, 100%. But you know one thing I, I've really enjoyed is the evolution of DJ Smith. We've been mm-hmm. talking about, you know, DJ Smith being fired. People want him fired after like 10 games. He has evolved like his coaching style. You can see it on the way they play. Mm-hmm. There's confidence being built with him and the young players. Young players understand that, hey, if we want to be put in these situations, we need to show that we can pr- handle them, produce at them, and be effective in those situations. He started, what was it, Norris, Stutzla, and Shabbat in OT. In OT. Like, mm-hmm. it, at the beginning of the year, you probably wouldn't have seen that. Well, you didn't see that. Actually, you've seen Stepan, Anisimov, then, who was it? On yeah, the ice was, for that uh, second that, game? Yeah, the Winnipeg uh, the Winnipeg loss. Yeah, the, it was like yeah, Stepan. Third game. Yeah, I think it was like Stepan and Anisimov and uh, Riley on. But he sent out those young guys. He is building trust with the young guys. The young guys are building trust with him. You saw them late in the game for that tying goal. Like, and that's what you want as a coach. That's what you want as a fan. So maybe, maybe we should lay off DJ for a little bit because you started to see that transition mm-hmm. from, okay, the veterans aren't producing. They're not playing the way we want them to, to the young guys are, and we're going to give them the minutes. And that's what they've done. I think Stutzel had like just under 20 minutes last game. Most minutes he's played uh, to this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, DJ Smith, um, you know, I've said it before even on Twitter, but he has he has come a long way uh, from the start of the season. There's no question about that. He's starting to trust the young players. Um, he probably had to see things through with these veteran players that his boss, Pierre Dorian, acquired in the offseason. Um, you know, so he, he had to try on some of those guys. It was a frustrating period of time. I'm not going to lie about that. There's still glimpses of frustration and stubbornness, but it's not, you know, it's not Guy Boucher. It's not even close. It's, uh, it, you know, the growth is coming rapidly for DJ Smith and it's coming every game. Yeah, I think we need to remember that we did not get, we didn't have no preseason. So DJ Smith had to basically allow the veterans to play themselves out of the lineup. Because unfortunately in hockey and like any sport, veterans will always have a longer leash than rookies. It's just the way it goes because they have a track record, right? Especially if you are a guy like Stepan or Coburn or Paquette who has a track record of being good in specific roles. Mm-hmm. And those guys do. So you had to let them play themselves out of those roles. 
Coburn did it. Paquette did it. He got, you know, he got shipped off to Carolina. Uh, Stepon is now a third-line center. He's probably going to get traded at some point. You know, you had to let these guys play themselves out of the lineup, which they've done. And now we've started to see more youth take control of that top six. And it's been fun to watch. It's been great. It's been a great experience. And I've had, I've loved the games watching these guys go. That second line, Dadanoff, Paul, White. Oh, that line is, that line is terrific. Like uh, that, that line is uh, actually like a a really good possession line too. And you could tell, I mean, you don't even have to look at the analytics. You could just watch the game. And every time they're on the ice, they're in the attacking zone and they could cycle the puck and they could win puck battles. Like they do everything right. Colin White, man, has he taken steps forward? I don't know how he was scratched. That's another, you know, another perplexing thing. I don't know how he was scratched for Artem Anisimov. But at the same time, I do. You know, we've had that talk before. We've, you know, talked ourselves through that. It was the start of the year. You're trying guys on. You have to see, you know, who's got what. And maybe he wasn't giving full effort in, you know, some of the very limited um, practices that they had an opportunity to see. So uh, I'm just glad he's never coming out of the lineup anymore. Yeah, and I think, you know, Pierre Dorian and DJ Smith and him made it known that, hey, my kid – my biggest issue is consistency, shift to shift, game to game. They all wanted to see more consistent effort. And it's hard to really fault Pierre, like DJ, for sitting him. Because if you watch his first couple of games and then you watch his last five, that's completely different kind of player. Hmm. You know, he is basically stronger, faster, harder on the puck, not giving up every shift. Unlike, you know, his first couple of games where it looked like he was taking shifts off. So maybe. Maybe it was justified. Maybe his benching was justified. We're not at practice. None of Sense Media is at practice. So we have no idea what DJ seeing that want makes him sit in like make him sit for practice. But hey, whatever they talked about, whatever they worked with with each other and worked through, it's worked out fine. And I think both Pierre uh, DJ Smith, Pierre Dorian, and Colin White are all happy with what's going on with him and how he's produced with those two. We don't even have Wally vision anymore. Like we don't even have Brent Wallace's iPhone at practice. So we can't see anything even from a bird's eye view. Thanks to TSN. Yeah. And it's, it's been unfortunate, but again, like we're not in the building, so we can't, it's hard. Like, and this is why I have issues with people saying, Oh, why are you benching him for him? We're not at practice. We have no access to practice. The media has no access to road practices. They have very little access to, to home practices right now. So clearly there's something going on that DJ Smith doesn't like. And hey, right now I think DJ Smith is loving what he's seeing from the young guys like he should. And it's worked out well for us. Well, I mean, we are on the subject of guys being shipped out of town. Uh, what did you think of the Toronto Maple Leafs acquiring former Ottawa Senator, if you want to call him that, for a few games? Uh, Alex Galchenyuk, who will most likely play with Jason Spezza. Has he been – so my understanding is that he's still part of – he's still in the AHL. Obviously, I don't follow Leafs Twitter. I have no idea. Mm. I haven't seen anything about him being called up. But Carolina sent him down to Chicago, the AHL. Mm-hmm. So he's technically part of the Marley system. I haven't seen anything about him being called up yet. I might – he might have. Again, I don't check Leafs Twitter. I'm not a Leafs fan. If he's in the lineup – Whatever. I have my, no wish. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say my assumption is that they acquired him to replace Jimmy VC, who has, you know, really, really struggled this year um, on that left wing with Jason Spezza. I don't know. Maybe it's just a depth thing. Maybe it's, a, you know, if one of the guys gets injured or maybe they put him in because of how embarrassing that 6-5 loss is. Yeah, like again, maybe maybe he isn't. I'm not sure. I haven't seen anything that he's been recalled or whatever. From my assumption, he's part of the Marley system. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they allow him to play top six in the Marley system for a little bit and then call him up in a couple of weeks. If that's a route they wanted to go, it is possible mm-hmm. since he's already down there. But personally, I have no issue with it. Like, hey, you didn't claim him. I find it weird that you didn't claim him on waivers. Uh, and then you traded two two prospects, even though they're probably low level prospects for him. It's a little weird in my opinion. Um, 
I guess probably, they wanted probably a money, like just a money thing with Toronto. They're they're penny pushing at this point with the cap. Yeah, and I think if you accept him on waivers, you have to send him like he has to be on the taxi squad or, or something like that, and they may not mm-hmm. have wanted him. Uh but hey, I I don't really care. It's unfortunate he didn't get a chance to play like get an oper- like a real opportunity with DJ Smith, but like I said before, Galchenyuk was a the guy they signed in case Timmy Stutzler wasn't mm-hmm. like wasn't able to come to Ottawa this season, and he did, and he kind of became expendable. Oh yeah, you you um you hit the nail on the head. I think way back when they signed him, um, you had that take from the start. I do remember that, and uh, you you said it was an insurance policy for Stutzla. If he's uh, at the time, I think they were talking about Stutzla's contract. We didn't even know if his contract was going to get done. So then when it did get done, it's like, okay, so now it's a little overcrowded. And that's when we seen Paquette in the lineup, Galchenyuk out of the lineup uh, and so on. And Galchenyuk got very limited opportunities. Uh, I'll say that I liked what I seen in some of Galchenyuk's opportunities. Like I didn't mind him as a fourth liner, probably didn't mind him as a third liner, as a top six player. He's not consistent enough. Um, He took a few bad penalties here and there, but that's probably going to happen when you're not playing regularly. Um, but overall, I think he could be a nice fit for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But yeah, like you said, good for them. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it is what it is at this point. And if he gets success, that's great. Like, I'm happy for the guy. I never wish ill, you know, for someone's career or like, you know, adversity in someone's career. So if he has success in Toronto, that's fantastic. You know, mm-hmm. like, good on you. But you know what? You're not with Ottawa anymore, so I don't really care. Uh, Paquette actually played the other day. He played like 11:33 for Carolina due to COVID protocols. He flew to Toronto and then drove to North Carolina, so he didn't have to quarantine. He's a fourth line center in Carolina. Good on him. Have fun in Carolina with those guys. They seem like a bunch of. That seems like a fun team to play for. Mm-hmm. But you were shit in Ottawa, so I don't really care that you're not here. Oh yeah, no, I was <laughs> I was celebrating that trade. I mean, that was a definitely a good trade. You're gonna get something for Dezingle if you choose to move on from him. You were not gonna get any. I don't I don't know how they got anything for Paquette and Galchenyuk. Like I don't know how he turned that into Ryan Dezingle. That trade still baffles me. I'm not sure why Carolina would prefer Cedric Paquette. Maybe again, maybe a money move setting up for something else. But I, think uh, this, I don't know. This, the Zingle was also in and out of the lineup for Carolina. He just never fit with Rod Brindamore. Like he was, I believe he was a healthy scratch during the playoffs a couple of times. He just was never a fit in Carolina under Brindamore. And hey, it happens. Some players just aren't fits for coaches, and it's not the end of the world. You move on. He'll have a chance to play in Ottawa, have legitimate like opportunity, in my opinion. He's gonna play in the second power play unit. So I'm interested to see what he's back either. I think he was on he was on uh, TSN 1200 today. His quarantine ends on March 28th. Mm-hmm. There he he hopes to play uh, or February 28th, not March 28th. Uh, he hopes to play the the Sunday against Calgary, but would not be surprised if he's later in the week to get him some more practice time. He's here with his wife, so that's good. He's not alone. So it's not a Derek step on. I, I want to trade situation because I can't be with my family. <laughs> I mean, I don't see Dzingel just having a kid right now. So yeah, I would uh, I would assume so. You never know. COVID times. <laughs> <laughs> Them COVID babies. Oh, they're That's gonna right. hit hard. Oh they're yeah, they're gonna hit hard this year. <laughs> oh no doubt. But we're gonna take a quick break. When we're back, we're gonna talk a little bit more of the two games. What we expect. Big news out of Ottawa today regarding some players. So we'll touch on that. Thank you all for joining us so far. Remember, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter, all that fun stuff. We'll be back after this short break. Uh, you know what? I'm I, just I, so I, heated because of what, what you're telling me, because I, I do not want to live in a world, <laughs> in a world where a craft dinner is the fucking substitute to a good macaroni. You're putting powder. No, no, no. Mac- macaroni, as you call it, is a substitute for candy. God. <laughs> oh my God! Go to go to Italy. If you ask, open some fucking no, 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 no. If you ask any Canadian 
Would they rather have Macaroni or KD? They will tell you KD is the best. It is superior. It is the fucking national treasure. And it is the greatest dish in Canada. I'm Mason Dixon, a Habs fan stuck in Leafs country, with my co-host Corey, a southern beauty trapped deep in the bayous of Louisiana. With over 2,500 kilometers of separation, we still managed to come together to give you Habs Nightly, your hub for Habs content. While I don't know what a kilometer is, I do know Habs hockey. Don't let the 10-year age gap or distance fool you. We bleed Blue Blanc every week. And we're known to serve up hot takes along with our unique charm. Join us every Monday and Thursday for Hockey Talk, Ref Rage, and your daily dose of Southern ignorance. Only on the Hockey Podcast Network. Katie is the superior macaroni and cheese. Get the fuck out of here. You put Um, ketchup on your fucking macaroni, you nasty kid? Yes, I fucking do. This has been Habs Nightly. You guys have a great night. And we are back. Thank you all for joining us so far. And if you didn't know, Belleville was in action tonight, facing Laval for the third time of a four-game set. Philip Gustafson, who was sent back to Laval, or sent back to, to Belleville earlier today or late last night, he made the start. Just got the notification, though. It is nothing Laval off a of Jordan Wheel goal, cleaning up a rebound in front of the net. So again, another another game for Ottawa for for the B sends. Ridley Gregg is starting as the number one center. Connor uh, Logan Brown is out day to day with a minor injury, according to Kenny Walls. So that's something to change out. TSN six ninety has the call. If for any of you who want to listen to that while while you're watching us, that that's totally that's totally fine. Oh, that's good. That's good news about Logan Brown because I thought he was a healthy scratch for a second. I thought he was actually being called up. I thought my, my first thought was they were holding, like keeping him out of the game and they were going to call him up tomorrow. I was thinking trade. <laughs> I <laughs> well, mean, it's we Logan t- Brown. I mean, I was definitely thinking trade, but. Yeah, I mean, I, and then someone was like, oh, uh, Kenny Walls said that he was dated, like, here, uh, injury. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I checked it. He's out day to day with, uh, I think, an upper body injury. But they're okay. down one nothing to Laval. They lost their first two games badly. I think it was a 5-1 and 5-2 final, respectfully. So we'll talk. They have a game against Saturday as well, mm-hmm. I believe. I believe it's Saturday. And then uh, some and, unknown, right? Like after that, it's just up in the air and yeah. they don't know. They just got approval from the the federal go- or the provincial government to host games. I think so, uh, late last week we were talking about it. So they're saying that they're, from what I've seen, we could see a revised schedule uh, in the next couple of days for Belleville and Laval. They add some games through the end of the month, or Belleville and Toronto for some home games through the end of the month. The other is for for the center for the NHL. It doesn't affect the North Division because we've been COVID-free, thankfully. Some scares, but nothing serious. There was I think thirty some or twenty some games rescheduled, affecting fifteen teams. In the NHL today, they announced like oh a bunch of schedule changes. No North Division changes once again. No North Division changes. All like all the American division. We're getting closer and closer to playing for the North Division Cup. Like it's just going to be the North Division left, and the whole NHL is just going to fold, except for the North Division. Then you know the Senators will make the playoffs and probably win the cup. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So yeah, they um. Daily is confident that the NHL will continue to have a full season. They have plans in place for uh, makeup games. But another thing came out today. Uh, I don't know if you saw the article with, uh, with the Coyotes on The Athletic, but it sounds like the Coyotes are in some hot water with ownership and issues. Again. <laughs> money, yeah, again, money-wise and whatnot. Uh, there's reports that they... Basically, they'll default on bill, like default on bills, and then um, force you into take forcing companies to take less than what they're owed because they know that that's all they're going to get and whatnot. Ooh, 
and I feel bad for Coyote fans. Like, I know we rag on Coyote fans and whatnot, but the last couple of years, they've really started to show up. You've already – and you've seen the growth in, you know, the the growth in hockey in Arizona. Austin Matthews has a lot to do with it, but a competitive Coyotes team has done a lot for that area. We have guys – we have individuals for the network who say that Coyotes hockey has done – so much for hockey in Arizona. It would be such a shame for that state to lose the Coyotes. I don't think they deserve, they don't deserve the owners that they've had. They deserve better. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could definitely relate to some of that. So I don't know if I feel bad for them because I probably feel the same. So I don't know. Do we get to feel bad for people? We're the, you know, fans of the Ottawa senators. Um, we're probably right there with them. Maybe not bailing out the boat as bad as uh, as bad as they are right now. Um, it sounds like they're in some really hot water, and we're just in lukewarm water. But uh, yeah, that doesn't look or sound very good. I think it, as sense fans, we're in a lot better situation because we are in a constant fear of oh, where are we going to play in two years? You know, what arena are we going to be at? Are we going to be out? In a, in a different part of Arizona, of Ottawa, or are we going to be a different part of, you know, because they're not playing in Phoenix, and I don't even think they're playing in Scottsdale anymore. That's why they're called the Arizona Coyotes, because they don't play in Phoenix anymore. So at least Ottawa, we don't have to worry about that. We know we're, we're playing in Canada, for, but as much as we hate Melnick, we don't have this constant threat, like constant possibility of being relocated. I don't see Ottawa being relocated outside of going to LeBrennan Flats. That's the only relocation Ottawa is going to have. Which is a positive relocation. Yes, 100%. But we don't have to worry about, you know, Florida fans and Arizona fans. They have a the, the possibility of a of relocation every single year. Every time there's an attendance issue, it's like, move them to Quebec City. Move them to Seattle. Move them to Houston. And it must be tiring for a fan base to hear that every year for the last like 20 years. Oh, absolutely. That gets so annoying. And I've heard the same thing so many times from people that are less aware out here. Um, You know, where I live, I live near leaf country. So just, you know, to give the listeners an idea and many, many, many times people say, Oh, the Ottawa senators are just going to become the Quebec Nordiques. And then you have Quebec people saying, Oh yeah, we're going to take over the Ottawa senators. So that gets super annoying. So again, I could totally relate to the Coyotes fan, except it's kind of becoming a reality for them. And that's the scary part. I really want the Phoenix Suns ownership group. I don't know who they are. I haven't looked into it, but I would love to see them buy the Coyotes and just have them playing at the same arena and then have that be it for any kind of arena situation. Like play out in the same arena. That's it. That's all. You don't have to worry about it. Get it over with. I know there's talk of the Sharks relocating now because of Google and whatnot causing problems for their arena. It's a whole it's a whole mess over there out of the SAP Center. But honestly, it's good to be a Sense fan because as much as Melnick causes problems, he hasn't done anything negative really in the last what, twelve to sixteen months? Shh, don't say anything, Shane. You're gonna knock on wood. (laughs) Yeah, knock on wood. Don't say anything. We don't want to jinx that. Um, yeah, I guess I mean, I guess it's you know, one way to look at it is looking at the teams that are in really, really hot water and thinking that you know we're not in as hot water, so good for Melnick, I guess. Um, you know, that I guess that's a positive, um, because it's not a negative. Hey, I mean, I understand why people hate Melnick. Don't get me wrong. But we could be in a lot worse situations. We could be the Houston Texans of the NHL. We could be the Cleveland Browns. There are so many worse franchises that Ottawa could be and have worse owners that were Melnick is like, he's bad, but he's not like bad teacher in high school <laughs> where you're like, yeah. I really don't like you. But it could be a. I could have this teacher, and this teacher is a whole lot worse. And I feel bad for people who are in their class. That's Melnick. Matt Melnick is that bad teacher. No one likes. Everyone wants them gone, 
but they're okay with him because they're not, he's not as bad as, you know, teacher B or teacher C. Yeah. I, I actually like in reality, I totally understand and agree with what you're saying. Like Melnick is bad from a PR standpoint. And because of that, it gets, um, it gets put under a microscope way too much. And there's way more there or people think there's way more there than there actually is. So that's when you start hearing like relocation talks and all that stuff when it comes to Ottawa, but it really doesn't pertain to Ottawa the same way that it does to Arizona, that it does to San Jose. Like that's a real threat. Whereas Melnick it's, you know, it's just a media thing. It's a media driven thing because every time he gets near a microphone, it's like you, you cringe and you want to block your ears and you're like, please don't say something stupid. Please don't say, Oh, he said something stupid. Hey, like we said, he is always welcome on our show. We would gladly have him on our show. I tried. Yeah. yeah, Same. Anytime he posts anything on his Twitter, I am like, yo, Melnick, come on the show, please come on the show. We're not here to make a fool out of you. We actually want to talk sense hockey and the rebuild and give you a chance to make amends with the fan base. Please come on our show. (laughs) But with all that, we have the game two and three Wednesday, Thursday. So if you're listening to this on Spotify, whatever, we did record this on Tuesday. So don't get mad that we're not talking about the Wednesday game. We'll talk about that next episode. But Murray is expected back either playing Wednesday or Thursday. TJ Smith confirmed it after practice. And our boy, Eric Branstrom, is going to be back in the lineup for Christian Willanen, who had a bad game on Monday, on Wednesday, playing with Good Branson. Yep. Ooh, I, I, me. I mean, I, I basically said that last time we recorded that you're not going to see Riley come out because he's playing too well. Eric Branson plays the other side and the Sens are reluctant to put Branstrom on the right side. And they probably don't want good Branson coming out of the lineup because he is a defensive presence as much as it kind of drives us crazy. He doesn't give you the same sort of puck movement or the same sort of, uh, you know, offensive abilities. Um, so maybe eventually we'll see both Christian Willanen and Eric uh, Branstrom play together. Uh, but for now, it'll probably be one or the other. And you might see the odd game if Mike Riley has a bad game. He might come out and the other player will come in. And it'll probably be a bit of a revolving door until there's another move that that's made. But yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see Brandstrom come back in. I was, I was kind of surprised. I was not expecting Brandstrom back on uh, on Wednesday. I definitely thought he'd be coming in on Thursday. I didn't realize his uh, IR stint was over. I didn't, even, I didn't even hear that he got taken off IR. I just saw him pop up on the, the lines and I'm like, Oh, he's in on the third pairing. I guess he's coming back into the lineup. Are you scared at all by DJ Smith's comments in, you know, relation to Eric Branstrom, basically saying that this is your one game to prove it. And if you play really well against the top players of Toronto coming back from an injury, then you're an NHL player for the rest of the season. So it's like no pressure, but there's like a ton of pressure on this game. And if you screw up, you're probably coming out of the lineup. And if you don't, don't think screw so. up, you're in. <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's it. Honestly, I think it's reassuring. You're you're basically telling them, "Hey, go out there, have a good game." And I mean, obviously, I would assume that they've had this conversation privately with each other, and the expectations are laid out there. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to make those expectations known because most coaches don't. And I at least I'd hope they've had this conversation privately. But as a player, if you're being told, hey, go out there, have a really good game, you're not in. You're in. You're not going to be taken out like you've made the roster for the year. Yeah. But if you have a bad game coming off injury, we might send you down to allow you to build up after the injury. You know, I think it's it's more reassuring than worrisome because you know that, hey, okay, if I go out and play my game and I'm I have a good game. I'm here. I don't have to worry about being sent down, especially if he's like, hey, have a good game. You're here. You're proving. Because realistically, most NHLers don't get these conditioning stints in the AHL when they're injured, right? Stamkos, Crosby, they're straight into the lineup after being hurt, and they're productive right after. Mm-hmm. So I think DJ Smith telling him, like, hey, like, come in, be, have a good game after an injury. You're a real NHLer. That's not necessarily wrong either because real NHLers don't get these conditioning stints unless it's a serious injury. 
know, yeah, he was, was out for was seven minor. days. Yeah, it was definitely yeah. minor. No, it, but, I think it was just, uh, it was literally just the wording that um, the media put out today. And I was just like, yeah, no pressure. Uh, you know, just play the best you've ever played and you're an NHL player for the rest of the year. <laughs> and if you don't, don't, well, you can go to Belleville and help them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it's like the best you've ever played, but I think it's definitely like, if you can show us what we saw before the injury, you're good. Yeah, and that was probably the message. Like that, you know, that was probably overall what the message was. But you are coming into hot water. You're coming into a fire a little bit. I mean, you're going to get the best version of the Toronto Maple Leafs on Wednesday. I could guarantee you that. They are going to come out with everything they have, and they're going to try to erase their memories really quickly. And Matt Murray is going to have to be outstanding. He's going to have to, you know, spin on his head and do all kinds of crazy things if the Senators want a chance in this game. So I feel like Brandstrom is being thrown into the fire a little bit. And it, and if he has a bad game, hopefully they don't, you know, judge him based on that one bad game returning to the lineup. Yeah, I think it depends on how the overall team plays, right? If he is, if we win and he's the worst player on the team and he has a really bad game, then yeah, it's kind of fair to judge him off that. Like, hey, you're the worst player on the team tonight. We'll send you back to Belleville. Play some games in Belleville. Get your confidence up. Make sure your injury is 100%. If the entire team struggles, it's a little different. Mm -hmm. But you're also coming into a, a, an environment that they've won two games. They're starting to feel confident about themselves. You know, you have good Branson. You have Shabbat. You have Riley. Like, you have these guys who, felt, who feel confident about their game. You should be able to rely on it. You should feel confident because the other guys are confident. I think if Branstrom comes in there with confidence, he'll be fine and we'll see him on Thursday. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said. I think, you know, even if he does have a bad game, I don't think it's necessarily all on this one game like it was worded in the media. I think, you know, he's shown in the past couple of games that he looks like an NHL-ready player. It's basically just adding to that sample size. So they want to see, is this the real deal? Is Eric Branstrom really ready? We're going to give him the minutes. We're going to give him a true test against a really, really good offense in the Toronto Maple Leafs. And if you pass that test, then there's no test you can't pass in the NHL and you're an NHL-ready player. And I also think it comes back to, I think, like, after the single, like the, the Saturday game against Winnipeg, DJ Smith said that he doesn't want players sitting anymore. He doesn't want... He doesn't want a roster sitting at 23 men. He does not want two, three players sitting every game. Branstrom is basically like, okay, you have to beat out Rolanin because it's either you and Rolanin mm -hmm. and you're the only one eligible to be sent down to Belleville. You know, you're not going to throw Rolanin on, you'll throw Josh Brown on, on taxi squad and send him down. Like you'll put him on waiver, send him down to the taxi squad. No issue. But you're not going to send Willandon down on the taxi squad because you know someone's going to pick him up. Yeah. So you're going to either force Willandon back into the lineup. Basically, okay, you show us that you deserve to be here. Or we're going to send you down to Belleville where you can consistently play until there's a proper opening for you here. And unfortunately, that's kind of where they're at. It's the same. Like, you traded two players for one player. You've opened up that roster spot once the Zingles ready. You drop an Isimov out. So you're only sitting at one and one. I mean, obviously, what's the difference between having two and one? I don't know. But I guess he wants to keep basically the same lineups in and in, in every game. And having a guy like Branstrom in and out of the lineup is not conducive to his development. Yeah. So I could see where DJ Smith is coming from as well. Yeah, for sure. And And could it lead to... A trade. I mean, I know they're talking about moving a defenseman. Maybe do they trade high on a guy like Mike Riley, who's playing better than we've ever seen him play? Or do you think they do end up moving a guy like Christian Willannon, who probably has a little bit more value? I think it's Willannon. I don't think you can split up that pairing of mm -hmm. Riley and Zub. Like, I think that pairing has been has turned into your best pairing. Willannon probably has more value because he's under team control at the end of the year. You know, you don't necessarily need to protect him at the end of the year. So you could see Willannon moved. It's just a matter of who do we bring back? Like, if we were to trade for Willannon, what kind of deal are you looking for? 
Is it uh, just picks? Future, futures, yeah. I, I would think it's futures or picks because of the roster spot. I mean, if you bring someone else in, then you created the same issue that you had before he's moved out. So, I mean, ideally, you you move him out for futures or, you know, uh, like a, a second. Yeah, maybe a second or third round uh, draft pick. Yeah, I mean, or a prospect to help Belleville. A guy actually, that you know. Actually, that's probably the route they would take right now, especially with Belleville really struggling out of the gate. Yeah, and there's there's uh, talk that Ridley Gray could be headed back to Brandon. Yep. Sometime this week, once that gets confirmed. Uh, so I don't know. I think Will Lennon right now, unfortunately, is the odd man out with the way Riley and Zub have been playing together. If you if they continue that stretch, then unfortunately, like we could be looking at a top like with Riley back next year. With Riley and Zub back next year as your second pairing or, or something like that, like that's a, that's a very big possibility. The way he's playing, if he can play this way consistently, then I have I would have no problem with Riley coming back next year whatsoever, and it buys you that extra year for Jake Sanderson, who's probably going to need you know one more year of development in uh, University of North Dakota. So yeah. you know that would be all right with me. The Willanen thing, it's a little bit risky. I mean, you're moving out a player who a lot of people think have a high ceiling, although he's not young anymore. Like, he's 25 years old. He's had an opportunity to prove himself. Unfortunately, he's had some severe injuries that have cost him probably his breakout season. I really thought 2018-19 was Willanen's opportunity to break out, and I thought he was going to break out uh, the following year. Sorry, so, so last season after 2018-19, where he looked really good at the end of the season. I thought Christian Molana was a top four defenseman, and I thought it was a shoe-in. Um, and unfortunately, it just hasn't panned out that way. Yeah, and you know what? It, that's unfortunate in pro sports. And he doesn't he doesn't seem to fit DJ's uh, system. Uh, like, it just it is the way it is. It's unfortunate, but that, that's, pro, that's pro hockey. And if there's a team that wants him and we can maybe get a – a draft pick or another prospect, like a prospect in return for him. I'm totally fine with it. I don't know what kind of value Will Lannon really has at this point. Yeah. He's still unproven, unfortunately at this age, uh, defensively, he's not been good <laughs> offensively. He has glimpses where he looks like Christian Willannon, but he also doesn't look like this. He has the same potency of offense that it looked like he was going to have. Um, and that could just be some reservations. When you have a major injury like that, just that the, the mental aspect of the game probably weighs on you huge, right? Like you don't want to maybe make that extra commitment into the corner. You don't want to go into these areas that you might have to go into. You don't want to cut towards the middle of the ice because you could potentially be injured and out for a whole year like you were before. So it, it could be that mental reservations and, and maybe a move will actually help his game. Yeah, and it could also be the fact he doesn't want to he's so focused on playing better defense that he's being conservative offensively. He doesn't want to make a mistake mm-hmm. offensively that leads to a to bad being benched. Yeah, like and unfortunately that's not necessarily his fault, but when you're a third pairing guy battling for a, a situation and you do it consistently, like once in a while it happens. Like every player it happens to every player. But if you don't want to get on that trend of making the wrong decision. So I think he's maybe thinking too much. He's a little in his head. I would not be surprised to see a trade if Branstrom makes it within the next like two weeks, definitely before the deadline in April. But I would not be surprised if we see a trade involving Willannon for a prospect within the next couple of weeks. I, I agree with you there. I think he really probably is the odd man out at this point. Uh, yeah, it's unfortunate because we were really high on Willannon prior to the season. A lot of people were. Some people are still really high on Willannon. Um, maybe we'll get a chance to see what he can do in the next little while. But uh, as for the next game here on uh, Wednesday night, he's coming out of the lineup. So uh, he won't have an opportunity on Wednesday. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. But, hey, it is what it is. And there's not much we can do about it. But before we wrap up, we just hit the hour mark. During this episode, and we started this episode relatively close to it, but during this episode, we actually hit 800 subscribers on Twitter. And this is huge. You know, at the beginning of, at the the end of season one, we were sitting 
at around 400 to, to 500, which is still really good for uh, a year. Like in a year, that, that's still really relatively good for a new podcast. Within the last three, four months, we've went from like 400 to 800 subscribers. Like that's fantastic. And I thank all you guys for it. You know, it's this has been so much fun doing. So just a quick shout out to everyone listening, all the fans of the show, everyone supporting us. Thank you for subscribing. Hopefully, you know, our next goal is obviously a thousand. If we can hit a thousand by the end of the season, I'll be more than ecstatic. Maybe we'll run a giveaway. Maybe, maybe if we hit a thousand subscribers by the end of the season, we'll do something. That's something we'll have to discuss. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll give you my glasses because they're like super fogged up and I can't really see out of them right now. They're kind of <laughs> scratched up. Maybe, maybe we'll give my glasses away. We'll see. Yeah, maybe. We'll 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 discuss it. But no, this has been a great run, guys. Uh, obviously, you can find us on Spotify. We have our megaphone link on our Twitter page. It gives you the link to everything. Subscribe to our YouTube. That's also the next goal. Expanding our YouTube page. We're going to start, like, I know Derek is very busy. We both have kids. Um, he is also works a ridiculous amount of hours. So do I. We're looking. Maybe, maybe if anyone's interested on coming on and maybe doing YouTube stuff for us, that'd be great. That's up to them. But if you guys want, follow us on YouTube. That'd be fantastic. But before we wrap up, just a last quick, quick thing to talk about. And that is the way the Sens have handled veteran players. And I've been... From my understanding, from everything I've seen, have been relatively straightforward with a lot of these veterans. We had Balker last year, who they were straight up honest with. He sat for most of the year. They let him go to sign over in Europe. All, the, the, the common theme is Ottawa isn't a place where players want to play. Mm-hmm. How much do you believe in that? Well, I mean, we just signed Evgeny Dadnov. I mean, I don't know how many teams were in on Dadnov, but it was rumored that there was at least five teams in on Evgeny Dadnov and he chose to play in Ottawa. I think it could be true for some players and it's true and it's not true for other players. I think it's, it's, it has to be an individual basis. Um, You know, it's no secret that Eugene Melnick is the manager. We talked about it, uh, is the owner and we talked about it earlier. Um, And there's some people that won't play for Eugene Melnick uh, potentially in the NHL. And there's some people that really don't care. And they look at, you know, the team and the culture within the team that they have. And um, DJ Smith, from all accounts, is a coach that players like to play for that we've heard, you know, consistently throughout uh, hockey, really. Many people like playing for DJ Smith. Um, You know, they have some very likable up-and-coming players. I think there's marketability around that. Um, So I think it's it has to be handled on an individual basis, uh, you know, based on the certain player but is it true to say that you could you know just wrap that up with a bow and and put that over everything no it's not true um you know otherwise we wouldn't have Evgeny Dadanov in the lineup I mean that is living proof that some players are willing some really good players are willing to sign in Ottawa yeah and I think if we can show that we're spending the big bucks on Kachuk and whatnot it'll show that we're competitive and we want to win because at the end of the day, every player wants to win the Stanley Cup and that's gonna that's what's going to attract the big stars is the money and the chance to win a cup. So if Ottawa can do that, I think we'll be fine. I know people are still upset about the Stone and Carlson and whatnot. Uh, there's that. I put out a tweet. The only contract that I'd be okay giving right now is the Stone contract. Mm-hmm. You know, people say it's luck that Dorian missed out on Carlson and Duchesne and Turris, but I don't really think it's luck. I think it's just evaluating what you have in front of you and what you could have by the time their contract ends and not being willing to commit to it. Because I don't really want to – I never wanted to commit to Carlson and Duchesne until they're 35 with guys like Shabbat and Kachuk and the possibility of us still continuing to suck over the next two, three years. I never wanted to commit that kind of money to them. I don't see why anyone would if you're in Ottawa's situation. I think moving on from some of those players is the right, it it was the right, it ended up being the right decision. The luck comes in when you look at the Carlson trade. I mean, nobody thought that San Jose was going to finish at the bottom. Um, And it, you know, it turned out to be amazing for Ottawa 
in that not only did they, you know, San Jose shit the bed for the whole season um, and give us the third overall pick, but that third overall pick ended up being Tim Stutzla, who is probably as good or better than the first overall pick. So there's definitely some luck involved, but, you know, you have to be lucky to be good. And some of those decisions that Pierre Dorian made, whether we liked them or not at the time, and nobody really liked them at the time, they ended up being the right decisions. Yeah. And I mean, Stone, the verdict is still out on Stone. Who knows what his contract turns into by, you know, the end of it and what happened. If Vegas doesn't win a cup and he starts to decline within the next couple of years, that contract's going to look horrible. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's still a possibility. Yeah, at least right now, there's no signs of decline for Mark Stone. In fact, he's, you know, right up there with the league leaders and basically everything. Um, but Vegas, Vegas is another story. We've talked about that before, but uh, I, I think they're kind of a wishy-washy franchise that made a lot of rash decisions based on early success. And I think that will definitely, definitely catch up with them. So their window to win a cup is like this year and maybe next year. And after that, that window is closed. For the most part, yeah. It's going to be crazy to see what they do. Signing Peter, An- Peter Angelo was a big risk. I don't understand why they did. Uh, I don't see how they're better with him and not with, like, Stasny and Schmidt. I don't see mm-hmm. how you lose those guys and think you're better with Peter Angelo. But that's a that's a completely different discussion. Uh, we'll wrap this episode up. We uh, Two-game win streak. We play them. We Again, if you're listening to this on Thursday, which most of you probably will, playing Toronto on Wednesday, hopefully it's a win. Thursday again, hopefully it's a win. We don't play again until Sunday against Montreal in Ottawa. We're back home. Who knows what's going to happen between now and then. But thank you all for joining. My Follow myself, Shane underscore Ryan 97. Derek at DLeo 75 Follow the podcast, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, subscribe on po- Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that fun stuff. Remember, THPN for promo, uh, promo code THPN for DraftKings. Sends our promo code for customized sports. If you already haven't checked it out, I got a Brandstrom kit with the amulet for the away jersey. Looks sick. Head on over there. Fantastic, guys. And remember, if you're in Ottawa, Wellington Diner for your game day snacks, game day dinner. Fantastic. They're on Skip the Dishes. Fantastic local diner. Hopefully, we'll be able to go back there in the next couple of months when COVID kind of settles down. With Derek, when you come to Ottawa, we're definitely going there to catch a road game. Oh, absolutely. um, But, you know... Thank you all for tuning in. Stay safe. We'll catch you back here on Sunday. And we'll have our own sense promo across the network next week. So you'll be hearing a lot of our voices. So hopefully you're okay with that. Stay safe out there. Enjoy your week.